Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. It's Nick here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Today, I'm bringing you number three of our series on entrepreneurs. So over the last few weeks, I've had um, a couple of fantastic people come in. I've had Khadija Khalifa and Kev Blackburn uh, coming in and sort of telling us their stories of entrepreneurship. So the, the Entrepreneur in Focus series was really... Basically, it came from you guys coming and telling me that you wanted to sort of hear more, I suppose, of the nuts and bolts of how people are sort of growing their businesses and how they're going through their own startup journey. So what I've been looking to do is bring different types of people onto the show and just really have a chat with them. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is not scripted deliberately because I kind of want the the, it's the, the small sound bites, if you like, that come from the conversation, the, the real, it's the real gold and stuff that you want to hear, particularly if you're trying to learn from others and take that next step up. So today I'm absolutely delighted to bring you Aaron Shepard. So Aaron Shepard is the co-founder of a marketing influencer agency called Goat. Now they've got offices around the world, but they're based in London. And I kid you not, this was one of those conversations that could have gone on for hours. In fact, it goes on for about an hour and a half. So this is not a short episode. But as I got speaking to Aaron, he just had so many different things going on and so many different perspectives. Um, and in fact, funnily enough, it's, it's the conversations that you sometimes have outside of the um, of the actual recording that, that are most interesting. And as I was walking out of the GOAT office in London, uh, he was telling me a story which was very much about presence. And a lot of how he runs GOAT and how he's run previous, previous businesses is focusing on what he can control in the here and now. And as much as that's not necessarily something that I've spoken about in terms of mindset uh, and focus, it's obviously one of the hallmarks of entrepreneurs that I've met who are generally very successful because they can stay in the moment and be very, very grounded in the moment. So just a little bit more about Aaron. Aaron, um, at 23, moved to Dubai and became Global Director of Business Development at The First Group. And he increased EMEA revenues over there from 25 million to 350 million in just three years. Then he came back to London in 2012. He founded a um, another sort of marketing business called Sports Lobster and built that to a team of over 60 staff and onboarded over 2 million users and completed successful partnerships with Cristiano Ronaldo, the NBA, Crystal Palace, and lots of other sports brands. And that was one of the first kind of using, I suppose, endorsement and influencer marketing, because obviously that's something that we see happening quite a lot these days, but um, obviously it's still quite a new marketing technique. And then he exited Sports Lobster in 2016 to join forces with a couple of colleagues from that business, uh, Nick Cook and Harry Hugo, to establish GOAT. And it's not, it's not so much Aaron's industry experience around marketing that I wanted to bring you today. As I said, there's a lot of stuff around personal branding that for those who have been listening over the recent weeks know that I'm massively passionate about. Uh, obviously, what GOAT does is take that sort of concept of personal branding to the next level and aligns that influence with people who are trying to reach people in a credible and authentic way. But as I said, the, the interesting stuff on this interview is not so much 
that. I mean, Goat, you definitely definitely have a look at that because of what I wanted to bring more influencer marketing into the podcast because it's a great way of thinking about scale-up. But this is really about Aaron's journey. It's about what Aaron believes in. And probably my favorite part of the episode is when he talks about leadership and how he builds teams. And I've touched on that uh, in a previous episode, but certainly not to the level that Aaron goes into. And there's some amazing sound bites that I think if you just kind of take them in and reflect on them, they can certainly help you in your business. So again, without further ado, let me introduce you to Aaron Shepard. Uh, so today uh, we are talking to Aaron Shepard, who is the co-founder of the GOAT Agency as part of our Entrepreneur in Focus series. So I'd like to welcome Aaron to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Appreciate so it. just to kind of bring you up to speed on what have we been doing with Scalp Your Business mm-hmm. and so you get some context. So I launched the podcast a few months ago now. Um, it's all about uh, entrepreneurs, if you like, who are trying to you know, grow their business, but a challenge with the, the sort of process of going from a startup phase to a scale-up phase. But mm-hmm. ultimately, everyone's trying to get to some sort of uh, uh, exit or capital event in the future. And in the Entrepreneur in Focus series, um, lots of people have been asking me, you know, can we get some people in who've got really interesting entrepreneurial journeys? Um, you know, how have they gone into sort of starting something up? What are some of the challenges? Mm-hmm. So it'd be great to sort of hear your story, you know, how, how you've got to where you are with the agency. And we'll get into kind of what that yeah. is in the future. But, yeah. you know, you're obviously an entrepreneur. You've done some cool stuff. Do you want to tell us sure. what you've done? Um, so I suppose the first, the first business I set up was 13 years ago. So that was, I was, I'm 31 now. So I was 18. Yeah. Um, and I loved the Gumball Rally, just loved it, and but could never the, the possibility of entering it was just. So this is when I so I'm a bit older than you, right? Yeah. So there was a there was a movie called the Cannibal, Cannibal Run. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it's great. all come from that. Is that right? isn't it? So, okay, yeah. good, good. So, okay, I've got it. So I love that. I just I I love the whole the adventure of it combined with the sort of racing but not racing yeah. element, all a bit fast and thought there were rock stars on them it was all a bit crazy and so I thought let's do this but in an affordable way for people so essentially we tried to set up the student gumball rally called shotgun run essentially shotgun run and that was where where was that was that in the UK that was going to be across Europe it was going to be starting in London finishing in Dubrovnik I think and then coming back got it so 450 quid entry rather than 60 grand or whatever yeah bring any car you want and essentially that 450 quid we'd booked hostels all the way along and it was just this giant party wow okay get it. so we sold it all and we were three months before we would the the run was due to launch and the actual gumball rally somebody in germany crashed their Porsche on one of the autobahns and killed two people in another car and just got out of his Porsche and got in another car on the rally and went, didn't stop to deal with it. So just killed two people and kept going. So did, did he actually continue in the rally? He, no, I mean, the police got him eventually. In his mind, he was just like, wow. I can't wait here and go, right? So it basically screwed our business because the insurance on the rally went up from 25 grand to 340 grand or something. And this is, this is the first year? This was, we never did it. 
This okay. was, we'd sold it all out, we'd brand it all up, everyone was bought in, they got the tickets, we are about to go, the hotels were all booked. And then that insurance, our, basically our insurance company called and said, we can't do this anymore because, because of, this. of this thing, wow. So we're gonna have to re-quote you, it's this, and it just killed us, killed the business. The, the model just didn't work, we had to refund everyone. So my first foray into business was that. Um, now, I'm not one that gives up easily, so I thought, well, we've got something here, and we've got people that want to do something and I'm just gonna spin this into something else. So two mates of mine were running nightclubs, essentially, events right. at nightclubs. They go there, they take the, the night from the club, get all the money going in, and then the club will get the bar money. And, you know, promoting, essentially. But, so I saw they were doing that, and they were making some money, and I thought, okay, well, there's some other clubs around here. And at the time, um, Embargo is a club in Southwest London, for any listeners, been in South East London the last 10, 15 years, they'll be aware of it. When we approached them, they were only open on Friday, Saturday night. We opened them on Wednesday night, and it became the biggest student night in London. Then Thursday night, again, the second biggest student night in London. Then we went to Crazy Larry's, Mamalangi, et cetera. So we had nights running constantly, and we were making proper money very quickly from that. So I sort of positioned the business into just events. I brought these two other guys in, gave them 50% of the business, so I own 50%, 25, 25. The and two at this of my point, in terms of, so I'm, I'm getting a good sense of, you know, your entrepreneurial by nature, because mm -hmm. I mean, your business sense at this point in time, did it had it come from anywhere? Had you had a good mentor? So my up? my dad's uh, an entrepreneur. Right. Um, he he was he's been in timeshare really and things like that for the last um, 10, 15 years. He's become very successful in the last five or six, so only when I've really been an adult. He was successful before, but yeah. you know, we've been no money, bit of money, no money, bit of money. Sort that, of. that tends to be the journey sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. um, he's, he's, he's built an unbelievable business um, in the last 10 years and is, you know, now he's very successful, now he's retired, but yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I've grown up watching my dad and the people that my dad is around, because he's an entrepreneur, they're also entrepreneurs, yeah, 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 yeah. and so, I'm very, very fortunate to have that as, you know, him as my mentor. He's always my first call. Um, less in the last year or two, um, but, you know, it's certainly in the formation of, I mean, Sport Lobster, which we'll, we'll come on to, but every day I spoke to about that, first two or three years ago, every day. Um, and he's, he's someone I can speak to about general business problems and understands well, if you've got unhappy staff here, what do you, you know, how do you maneuver it around? He understands commissions and sell. He doesn't understand influencer marketing at all. But no, he understands, but in terms of that he understands core, how to, yeah, how, yeah, to, how do to run this, a business, how to motivate that. So you've people. had that, okay, because that's a, there's one thing we talked about a couple of episodes ago on the mm -hmm. podcast, which is, it's a common saying, but your, your network is your net worth. And you've probably heard that beforehand. And the idea that you're influenced by the five to 10, yeah. you know, people around you. And if you want to yeah. change where you are currently in your journey, change that. Mm -hmm. And that's why, Things like mentorship and coaching and all that has become quite a big yeah. thing. But everyone I've spoken to who has transitioned, either being an entrepreneur because they've had that in themselves at mm -hmm. a younger age, or they've done that later on in their career, their mission, their life, has always changed that influence around them. Yeah, as a first piece. Yeah, I've, I've, I guess I've had it, always, like always, without even really knowing it. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean innately. I think there's a bit of it that's innate, but I think I've had that exposure to 
what's the worst that can happen sort of you thing. You would have had it even if it was subliminal when you grew exactly, up. Exactly, yeah. You would have, you know, would have been happening, you know, dinner table stuff or conversations. You would have heard them even if you didn't correlate what they were. Exactly. And yeah, I think cool. that by the time I really started to get, you know, at 14, 15, I started to ask questions. Why are you doing this? Why is that happening? Talk to me about that. Why, what, what's going on there? What's this? And when other people may not have been interested, I've just had always, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I'm, excellent. you know, at school, I would always try and find the, it's, it's, it's different. Some people look at it and go, oh, you're just doing a shortcut. And they see if you, they give you an essay to write or they give you a problem and you do the shortcut, they'll go, oh no, that's bad. They'll mark you down, show your work, do it. And I've always been someone that's thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like if I can do it in a quicker way, why is that not a better, like why, would I slow even, myself even that down? Is, I mean, that's not unusual in the context of what we're talking about on the show, right? But that's unusual just in the, in the commonplace of education. I mean, I did, a, did something recently on, you know, I say to myself, I might have had academic experience or whatever at school, but my education started for me in my 30s when yeah. I started having exposure to different things that I didn't get through, you know, in a university mm -hmm. or business school yeah. and stuff like that. 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I still think that's a massive problem, actually, in terms of it's partly why I'm so keen on entrepreneurship being something that is more broadly um, accessible to people. Yeah. Because the skills you learn through entrepreneurship are much more applicable to everything. Yeah. 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 And cool. You know, so if somebody came and spent three days in this office with us, they would learn more than in three years at a degree doing yeah. business management, right? Because you can't, you can't teach it. You can't, because it's all people, right? That any, any business is about, are you capable of motivating the people around you to go and do things that they didn't think they could necessarily do? If you're not, and you're just motivating them averagely, you'll have an average business. You want an exceptional one, you need ex you know, normal people to be exceptional. Right, because I'm normal, but at times I can act exceptionally. Yeah. There's no, you can't find exceptional people. You can find normal people that are capable of exceptional things. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that any entrepreneur has to do is motivate other people. And you can't teach that. You can teach it, but only by showing. You can't teach it by saying. When did you learn that you had a skill at that then? Because not everyone, I mean, every entrepreneur I meet who's got a successful business is very good with vision. Yeah. Leadership to some extent, but sometimes you have people who can lead teams as a, a co-founder or mm -hmm. someone else. But when did you work out that that was something that was your skill? I think my skill is more the vision than, than the leadership, I think. Yeah. I think I am very, very self-aware of what I'm good at and more importantly, what I'm not. And I think my success has always come from finding other people that fill my gaps mm -hmm. around me. And so, you know, a GOAT, the skill sets that Harry and Nick have are completely different to me. But similarly, in that first business I was talking about that became Shotgun Events, like those two guys did very different things to me too. And I knew that I wasn't going to be the guy at the front, you know, up and, hey, guys, how's it going? You, you know, but you need someone to do that. Yeah, and if I'm not going to do it, I need to find someone that's significantly better at that than I am and get that person to do it. I found the best person I knew. We have to be one of my best mates. And he did it. And he was brilliant. And, you know, I, I, I'm very, what I, am, what I am good at from a leadership point of view is giving people opportunities and trusting them. And I think the limit, the major limit to all business growth is that, is I will, I'm quite happy not to do things myself. I'm quite happy to trust other people to do it. Now I'm 
my expectations are very high and if they don't do it, there'll be a consequence. But I'll always give them the opportunity. My assumption is they can do it. And then if they can't, oh, well, my fault, shouldn't put them in that role. Maybe you can't be here, but or you need to train you better or whatever it may be. But I see people every day not giving the opportunity because of fear of what that outcome yeah, yeah, would be. Yeah. And I just, how can you possibly grow without it? You know, not just a business. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The so I scale up your business, you know, if you look at it just from a literal perspective, you think actually, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about marketing, we're going to talk about mm -hmm. finance, we're going to talk about operations, we're going to talk about mm -hmm. nuances of business. Most of the stuff I talk about, probably 70% of what I talk about is mindset. Yeah. And the connection point to that is, you know, when I'm working with an entrepreneur who has been brilliant at startup, but is struggling to go to the next level, it's mm -hmm. usually them that is the blockage. Yeah. And if you really delve into it, it's fear. So I did some stuff again recently on that. Um, and it connected really well with a lot of people because everyone gets it, this feeling that I am not enough or I can't trust or whatever. And it's usually coming from some sort of programming yeah. or some sort of thing that's happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as you can get past that, and people with this techniques you do, of course, I'm sure you, you've, you've done some of this yourself, um, everything changes. Yeah. You know, and a lot of what you're saying is, yeah, you have to be able to trust people. You've not, you've got to be able to take risks. You've got to realize that everything in life serves you to some extent anyway, even mm -hmm. if it's not something you want at that point in time. Exactly. And if you can bring those things into business, even though they're great life mm -hmm. attributes anyway, um, you know, it's amazing what happens. Yeah, yeah. But people yeah. are so, to be honest, people are very precious about everything. You know, it's it's they make can make everything such a big deal. And like what you said then about you learn from everything, like. We've pitched for things that I wasn't, if I was being really rational, wasn't 100% sure that we were going to win, wasn't 100% sure we were the right people to win. But we have a mindset that we are. And every time we've got into that room and actually opened the door, we've gone, oh, we, yeah, we're more than capable of doing this. It's, but there's always another level that people see yeah. and they think, oh, maybe when we get there. I talked about it on our board the other day. We, we're pitching something at the moment. It's the biggest thing we've ever pitched for. And when we took it on, the, the RFP process, I thought, I don't see how we can possibly win this. This is just, this is so enormous, so global. It's, a, it's absolutely huge. And when we've done the deep dive into the pitch and seen what the other agencies that have been doing it have been doing for the last three years, we're literally laughing. We're literally going, this is, this is insane. How the hell is this, how is this possible? How can they spend 15 million per year well, on yeah. this and get this result? It's staggering to us. But the assumption is because it's big and because it's sort of out of our realm of comfort that there must be people that really know what they're doing, doing it. And that the biggest lesson I ever learned in life is nobody knows what they're doing, nobody. And, that's, and that, that concept you talk about as a, as a self-limiting belief is what holds people back from everything. 100%. And if you get rid of that, which is fake anyway, if yeah. people don't realize it, but it, is, it doesn't really yeah. exist, yeah. Um, then you know, everything else becomes possible. Exactly, yeah. And it, and it comes down to, do you want it, right? Yeah. That's, I don't think I'm amazing, but I also don't think anybody else is either. I think everybody's a person, everyone's got positives and negatives. Put me in a room with anybody else, I don't know if I'm better than them, but I, at the job or whatever. Yeah. But I do know I want it more, and I'm, they're not gonna outlast me, they're not gonna outwork me, they're not gonna outthink me, they're not gonna outpassion me. I'm gonna give everything to it. And so if, you, if the other person's gonna give everything, we'll have a, We'll have, a have a fight and we'll see what happens. A formidable um, situation. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, if you do that with everything, 
nine times out of ten it, it, it works out. What people don't do is, or what people do is, they think, I'm, maybe I'm not good enough, so I'll give 90%. And then if I don't get it, then, you know, I didn't there's really a thing, try. So there's a, what, you're, what you're describing is um, that there's a bit of a formula to this without being too formulaic which is, you know, you take action, you get a result, and then you learn from that result and you take further action. But mm -hmm. what's interesting about that is if you, if you learn from that and you take, you know, that result starts to move you forward, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that exactly. you get better results. Yeah. What lots of people do is they stop at the first barrier and then, or they think they're going to get a negative result, and mm -hmm. then that happens the opposite way around. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's quite an interesting way of thinking through it. But I, mean, I want to go back a little bit to your, mm -hmm. so we can get into, because you've done a heap of different stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but go back to the events piece. Yeah. So obviously you had that, the Porsche crash. That's not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was you turned that, you pivoted to something else. So we, yeah, we turned that around. I ran that company, company. I mean, it's a, a promotions company. Yeah, right? no. Um, <laughs> we ran that the whole time I was at university. So I, I say I was at university. I didn't really attend university because I was doing the event stuff in London and I was at University of Nottingham. So I, I actually went to seven lectures while I was at university in three years. Didn't go to any of my seminars, didn't go, didn't go to three of my final exams, I didn't go to my graduation, couldn't give a shit. And the reason I didn't was, I assume it was the seventh lecture, but I was in there very early on and somebody, one of the professors was a professor, I mean, definitely not a professor. There, I'm sure there are, okay, but I'm sure there are business schools at Harvard and places like that where people, real entrepreneurs who have done their own stuff, go in there and teach people. And I have no doubt it's extremely valuable. If you haven't done this, you shouldn't be teaching people what to do. And because you don't really understand what it is. And what I, what happened to me was in the, one of those first lectures, we we're talking about how to set up a business, practically, physically how to set up a limited company. And it just so happened that I'd done it two weeks before and I'd done it online because the online system had just come in. And I said to him, I'm sorry, but you know, this has changed now because you can actually do this online. And his response to me wasn't, if his response to me had been, oh, wow, okay, good. Well, that's good to know. We should definitely look at that. But it wasn't. It was, okay, well, for this module, you're going to be tested on this. And I just thought, <laughs> okay, so you're, you're asking me to learn something that's counterproductive because I know that actually it's changed, but you still want me to learn that. But then that'll always be in my head and I'll, I, you, you're making it worse, not better. Does that make sense? It does. So you've, what you've got here is you've actually done the thing that you're supposed to be taught practically with experience, experiential learning, yep. what do you call it? And because you know it doesn't fit the protocol of the teaching or the assessments, yep. it's wrong exactly. or it's perceived to be wrong. Yeah. As opposed exactly. to celebrating it and getting you up on stage or whatever in the lecture yeah. and saying, you know, Aaron's done this, mm -hmm. let him tell you about his experience. Yeah. Or just saying, yes, okay, the world's changing. Like the bit that got me was that even if it's true, for the next test, don't put it. And I just thought, that just doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Like, you, some answer is going to be wrong, but right for you, but wrong for the world. And I'm only interested in what's right for the world. Like, I'm not, I didn't go to do business management. In my mind, I went to do, do that because I thought it would help me do what I wanted to do in the world. And I realized very early on, this ain't going to help me. It's no. just well, not. It's like, if you think about it now, I mean, information businesses, um, particularly around things like entrepreneurship or whatever else, um, are doing really well. So because the traditional training side of things mm -hmm. is not that, it's mentorship, it's masterminds, yeah. it's retreats. And I've done this myself personally. 
if I find someone who's a few steps ahead of me in an area where I want to be really good at, and they're successful, so they're not selling mm -hmm. any um, snake oil or whatever mm -hmm. it is, um, you just go and learn from them. Yeah. And it, back to your point, it fast yeah. tracks you. Now that's not the protocol or the um, even the the ideology of university. No, when you think exactly. about it. But you know, I've done that now what three or four times with that many mentors, and you know, the toolkit of what I do in my businesses now mm -hmm. is is all because of that. Yeah. And then I've innovated after having the basics or the foundations in place. Yeah. That's, that's where all you, you know, this is all practical, right? Mm, it's yeah. not a theoretical thing, it's practical. You can put as many theories in play as you want, and then one of your staff are going, I don't fucking like it. Okay, the theory's gone. Now now you've got a practical problem of that person now doesn't you've got, Now you've got to deal with that exactly right. And like, I'm not saying you change the structure, but you can't just go, well, theory says, like, because you'll lose that person. Yeah. Or worse, you won't lose that person and they'll turn other people against you and all of a sudden you lose the business because you've implemented something that theoretically is right, but practically it just doesn't yeah, work. It hasn't got the agility. Yeah, and it's, else. you know, I'm a big believer in practice. I'm, a, I'm an admirer of market traders. I'm an admirer of real people creating value mm -hmm. out of nothing rather than, you know, I've done the, maybe we should go back to what I've done. So after I moved on from- Yeah, take us through the, take us through the chronology of it. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure there's a story at each stage here. <laughs> yeah, there's um. a few, yeah. So, <laughs> When I left university, I essentially just wasn't going to practically run the nights anymore, so walked away from that. Um, went to Dubai, was working. And what was the reason to go to Dubai? To be brutally honest, the reason I went there is I got two armed robberies when I was at university in Nottingham. Um, twice, two consecutive years, I had people in my house with the first guy, two guys with, with knives. The second guy, I saw a knife, he said he had a gun. And I was just, it was just bad luck. And I... Well, actually, you know what? Without getting into it, I've had a knife pulled on me in Nottingham before as Have well. You? So there therefore, you go. it's yeah, a little it's, bit. Yeah, it's called shotting. Them <laughs> Perhaps it just it. happens. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's, so yeah, the, it's not so a that, safe place. I mean, that's obviously not that's a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. But what that made you think you wanted to leave did, the UK or just different? yeah, I was yeah, it did to be honest. Um, yeah. I I knew some people in Dubai. I sort of I'd never been there, but I knew I knew some people there. I. I just, I knew it was going to be safe because that I was never going to have to worry about that. And yeah. so that was a big, when I first moved there, I think that was the number one reason. And I what age there. were you at that point? 21. 21, okay. Yeah. So just come out of university um, and literally moved there straight after university. Um, went to Dubai, started working in the marketing department of a property company. At some point, someone on stage said, right, we're, um, we want to go into Africa. So if anyone can bring us an opportunity in Africa and there's the building hotel tower blocks essentially yeah. um, then we want to do it so we I knew a guy that was Kenyan who I was very good friends with in in Dubai his dad I don't even want to go into what his dad did but some proper stuff in Kenya it's very well connected um, so I, I reached out to him had a conversation brought him into the office he met the guys we ended up going down to Kenya three weeks later I was sat by myself in the Prime Minister of Kenya's office, just me and him, talking about putting a tower up in the middle of Nairobi at 22. Now, just because I put my hand up, right, it was, the opportunity was there for everybody in that business at the time. Now, I knew someone that connected it, but I went out, when as soon as they said that, I thought, you this is my happen. chance. I'm going to go, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity. Um, I did. That then, were you scared at that point to make that call, knowing what it was, or you had enough faith and belief to say, you know what, I'm just going to see what happens? I think I didn't know any better, to be honest. I, 
And so at that age, it I didn't mean, work out. You feel, you to feel be honest, quite it, bulletproof it, at that. Yeah, point. we didn't end up doing that. <laughs> we didn't end up doing the tower in Kenya. It fell apart six nine months down the line because the air force wouldn't allow it. So it didn't even turn out to be. But it, what it showed to all the people there was, here's someone that will go and do some shit for us. So yeah, cool. Um, I then ended up going into Nigeria. I spent seven or eight months in Nigeria, which is not somewhere you want to spend an awful lot of time. Um, and so you, you were living there? I was much. living there. Wow, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's, you know, with armed I think, security. I think, I think you're probably wishing you're back in Nottingham at that point. Oh, I had eight, <laughs> I had eight armed guards everywhere I went. Like, yeah, it no, was, it's crazy. I, My wife's done some, some travel there. Yeah. And, you know, she's had the same experience. Yeah. It's, you know, and places I went to Nigeria, and there's still places you can't go. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, it's an incredible country with lovely people, generally lovely people. They're very nice and friendly and caring. But they, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do anything, anything. And it's one rule for them. And as a, as a foreigner, you are, it's, it's not even a race thing. But like, I've had people say to me in Nigeria, it's prices because, it's, because you're white, it's this. And it's, but it's not because you're white, it's because you're not Nigerian. Yeah. And they're very local, they're very, you know, tied in. And it's, there's a huge amount of corruption there. And if they sorted the corruption out, it would be top five economies in the world, like the potential out of Nigeria of 180 million people with a really young, dynamic workforce, but they're just so corrupt. And yeah. so, you know, there are so many examples there. Capri Sun was made there. And they, they some, I can't remember the exact details. It was something like they'd ship all the ingredients over the border two or three times because someone was getting, making money on it. It didn't make any sense, but someone's getting a backhand from somewhere and it's just there's loads of stuff like that there yeah, when you like, start getting into like you know the cult that's a cultural thing isn't it you yeah start to, a, you know there's a bit of the change to change that to your yeah. point everything else looks great from a rational perspective but yeah. that's that's in that's ingrained stuff yeah so i mean it's yeah. a i'm a big fan of that that part of the world and i think you know i think west africa is going to really rise over the next 15 20 years you you they will sort it out it's, mm. it won't be like this forever and when they do my god are they going to be a a serious economic player because the all they've got the resources they've got like it's mad but they're getting they're getting robbed by other countries and by people at the top of their own country they should be incredibly wealthy but then they're not and so you were there you said for six to nine months living there yeah i was there for six to nine months over a period of a year and a half. Yeah. Um, so never six months straight, but I was doing month on, you know, a week back there for three weeks, back for three days, there for two weeks, back for a, you know, yeah, constantly yeah, cool. there. Um, and I learned more in that period. As I also sat with the president of uh, Nigeria, Good Luck Jonathan, and like some mad situations. Like the amount of times where I was, I literally walked out of situations, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, how have I? Like, they're going to find me out at some point. Like, I shouldn't be here. And I don't know, but I just was enabled and given the opportunity by the guys in that business who, you know, took a took a gamble. I suppose maybe had the same attitude that we have yeah, now. So there's a lot of stuff. Um, some of the stuff you're saying, you know, I'm sure you're aware of it, is is positioned. Some of the stuff you said at the very beginning of, of us chatting in mm -hmm. terms of the philosophy that you bring here. Yeah. You know, yeah. So obviously that's those, where it's come from. Those experiences of obviously sort of you know however they've got in your mm -hmm. your psychology and your mindset, you're applying to what you're doing now. That's it. Yeah. Some cool. people just saw me as a 22 year old. Don't give them too much. Other people just thought, well, let's see what you can do. Yeah. And with me, they saw what I could do, and it was, you know, it was obviously positive for them. So it, 
yeah, I'm a massive believer. Never forgot that. It's that's the only you know that's. So you must have gone back to Dubai then. You know, having gone through some pretty. Whereas you said beforehand, there were interesting experiences. There was stuff there that you probably have never seen before and, and probably never see again, actually. Yeah, yeah. So did you go back? I mean, did, did things change when you back to, went back to Dubai sort of more permanently? Did you have a different view on things or apply um, things differently? I was, I jumped up the business significantly on the back of it, on okay. the back of, of proving myself in, in Africa and went from being someone in the marketing department to being essentially head of business development for yeah, okay. Um So this is what I, this is what I was thinking, because the confidence you would have got from those experiences oh, going back into it, you would have had a different view of yourself. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I still do now. I, I, there'll never be a more terrifying experience for me than walking into the president of, that first time I walked in, sorry, not president, the prime minister of Kenya. Um, and I, I couldn't, like, I still now thinking about it, just think it was unbelievable. You know, I just woke up one morning in a hotel there, walked to the prime minister's office and had a meeting with him wow. for 45 minutes in his office, just me and him and one aide. And I just, you know, I was 22. It was, it That's was unbelievable. nuts. That's amazing experience at that age, you know, and also to now sort of recognize that as well as what you're doing with, you know, your other stuff here and everything. Yeah, I, I what as well really stuck me is I went back. So I met the prime minister a few times. The second time I went back, I took one of the senior guys from the business with me. Quite why they didn't send someone the first time, I don't know. I think it was a last minute thing. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want to talk, the prime minister didn't want to talk to the senior guy because the relationship had been made in the first meeting with me. And so it ended up me leading the meeting, even though there was someone much more senior than me in the meeting because he just wanted to talk to me about it because that was where the first conversation. So it was also a realization of, that power of people connection over authority. You know, just because you're the most senior person, it doesn't mean that's who they want to talk to. We sit here every day. We have clients who they, you know, will love the account managers or whatever, and I go and meet them and I think, oh, they might, they're probably best just dealing with them because that, that's the right sort of person to deal with them, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, there's, it a, was there's, a, a, there's a thing here though, that your ability to build rapport obviously back then was pretty strong even at that age yeah i well people buy people yeah. right people like people that that, that if you that the biggest challenge i think for everyone in life is can you get someone to like you right because no one's going to work with someone they don't like no one's like it's just that's just not people only work with people that they like unless you're talking about war or maybe you'll have a surgeon who's if it's life and death maybe you don't care about that but apart from that that's what people care about so yeah you've got to make that connection you've got to be there's no excuse not to be nice and friendly and, and we're as aggressive as anybody will meet there's no there's no fucking around with anything we do it's 100 miles an hour we're cutthroat with this but we're we're still nice while we do it the the two things don't yeah, have don't to be have mutually to be, exclusive exactly. yeah exactly um, and i think people mistake them and think being a dickhead means you're going to be successful in it. But most of that, back to our point, a conversation before, that's about fear. Yeah. So most of the time yeah. when people have to intimidate and knock someone down, they're coming from a position where their own self-belief is not where it should be. 100%. Because why do you do it? It's like, any, it's like the person you see who's a bully, mm -hmm. you know, in any context. That yeah. can be in work, it could be in school or anything else like that. They're only doing it because they've got own, their own issues. 100%. So yeah, if you come yeah. from a place where you feel comfortable about yourself, then you're going to meet people in a way that you want to lift them up. Yeah, and if you lift absolutely. them up, then the whole thing changes. Yeah, and that's I think that's not even a parent. <coughs> that's not even a business. That's a. It's I'm a lucky from a parent point yeah, of view. That it's I've a life trait. It's that, a life trait for sure. Know, I never. 
I obviously doubt myself, like everyone does, right? I have self-doubt, I have all sorts of things, but I fundamentally have belief in who I am and that I'm a good person and what I do is right and I act with integrity and I, you know, I've always had that. I've never blamed anyone else for anything that's happened to me. I take responsibility for every single thing that happens in my life and everything yep. that happens around me and everything that happens to anyone else that I have an ability to impact. You know, people think responsibility and blame are the same thing and they're not. I'm not a blame for everything that happens, but I am responsible. You know, if something happens with my kids or my wife or anybody that works here, or I have a responsibility to that and I accept that responsibility fully. And I don't ever blame other things. And I think that's the difference between a leader and a boss, right? I, I hate bosses. People that think they're gonna use, they're gonna force people to do something out of fear or whatever, that's, in my experience, is a very short-term solution. You might scare someone into doing something now, but in two weeks, they'll have not. They'll either not be scared because you won't have done it, or they'll just think, okay, well, if you're always going to be angry at me, who gives a shit, right? So, but it doesn't drive engagement. And yeah. It doesn't. You know, but there's a thing about they. They talk about. <clears throat> I'm sure I read this somewhere. I'm aware about personal power versus positional power. So if you've got personal power, it's going to have to be about who you are and how you come across. Because yeah. back to your point, people are going to either align with with you know your values and, mm -hmm. and see you as a good person or not yeah. and sometimes you can be a good person and still not align with someone of exactly. course because you're different personalities yeah but positional power you mm -hmm. know the boss the title the mm -hmm. whatever else yeah that's driven purely from a ranking mm -hmm. and you're not going to drive engagement i mean i've been like that my if you think back to i suppose my career um i've always been very maverick and very rebellious mm -hmm. so there's a point where if someone tries a positional power thing on me if i haven't got the respect in that then yeah. I'm, I'm the worst employee or whatever ever yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. yeah um but if someone takes the time to sort of build engagement and mm -hmm. those things then it's a very different yeah you know nick that they get 100 percent. yeah so. no I, I people we see it here where you know we operate we're very much meritocracy here i've got no interest in going and bringing a load of people that think they've done this before because it's it's all different slightly at the very top you can get that advice but like just because you've been doing something for 10 years doesn't mean that you're necessarily better than someone who's been doing it for a year or two it depends what you're doing and how mm. you're doing it right so we tend to hire from within and before you become a manager it should be from a title point of view it should be very obvious that you are a manager and that you're a leader and People have said to me in the past here, oh, I haven't got any authority here. So if you make me, you give me this title, I'll have that authority. Said, no, you, no, you won't. It doesn't work like that. Like the title. Culturally, I mean, I've, I've been in here for what, 30 minutes. And I can sort of get a, you get a sense of the culture when you walk in the door. And we'll talk about, obviously, yeah. the good yeah. agency in a sec. Um, but that must be, you know, you must be able to pick and choose very quickly just based on the cultural piece. If someone's coming in, if someone says that to you, that must be a red flag straight away. Absolutely. They ain't going to fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're... Cultural fit is we're looking for the smartest people we can find, and there are people that just aren't smart enough to work here. And it's it can doesn't you, mean can that, you assess that? Yeah, it's, and that's that's an interesting one because <laughs> I'm not talking about book smart. I'm talking about street smart. I'm talking yeah. about common sense, really. Kind of IQ test, but emotional intelligence is also a part of that. Speed of thought, I think, is the main thing. Is we operate very quickly, and we can't drop the level that we operate to over explain things to make it simple so there's just but it's it's not a oh i've got a first from cambridge like we almost certainly wouldn't hire someone with a first from cambridge because they wouldn't they probably wouldn't fit in particularly well here. Yeah, okay. but like <laughs> you know it's maybe what 
it's maybe the Barrow Boys of, of the city without the misogynistic side of it. But yes. it's it's that's why I talk about a market trader or somebody. You know, some of our best employees two years ago were stacking shelves, and they're absolutely brilliant, world class, and they just didn't get the opportunity, and they were being judged because of academic things that led them into maybe the only opportunity at that time was that. We're looking for social understanding, cultural understanding, and a data understanding. You need all those three. It's very difficult. There's no course that someone would have taken that would give them that. So what we do is try and get the sharpest, quickest, most adept at dealing with pressure, like our interview processes, you'll get, I shouldn't say this, it'll give it away, but you know, <laughs> you'll get- what you say, because it's going to go out to yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> you'll get, no, I don't mean to give away to people applying, is yeah. like they'll get tests with time limits, and then they'll get told it's half an hour thing, you've got to fill out these, you know, these tests, and then with five minutes to go, we'll bring another test in, with two minutes to go, bring another test in, and like, we're just seeing how they deal with pressure. We're seeing where they prioritize. Do you ever mark the tests? The what? Do you mark the test or are you just looking at the reaction? Um, no, no, we're marking the test as well. Okay. Yeah, but we will see so much from the reaction and how they then prioritize. And what, what happens a lot is they will freak out for that two or three minutes and it's over. And what we're looking for is people that make a decision in the first 10 seconds and carry on. Got and it. Like, so there's a bit of a test of resilience and grit there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, you know, that's the, a big part you've, of it. You've, uh, you've thrown some adversity in. That's, Let's yeah. see what they do with it. Exactly. And then... Yeah. You know that on the the up the positive side for that people applying here is that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for. I don't. I don't care where you've been to university. I don't care where you've been to school. I don't care where you live. I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about. You know, we judge people, and this is actually a hangover from my dad. Is can do, will do, team player. Those are the three things we judge everyone okay, on. Okay, nice. Can you do the job? Are you actually? whether it's smart enough or whatever, but capable enough to do that specific job. And I mean specifically, whether it's someone in our CRM or a developer or a video, very different things. Can you do that job? Will you do it? Because a lot of people can do it, but they don't really want to. And it's not really something that they get passionate about. They don't get fired up for it. So they'll do it, but they'll do it at 75, 80%. And then the other one is team player. Is, are you a fit? Are you gonna help someone three desks down from you with something at 7.30 or are you going to go home and make that their problem? Are you are you going to be nice to people? Are you going to make people feel positive? Are you going to be negative in the room? Or like those sorts of things. But th- those are the three things we judge. This is, on. to pivot a little bit back to yeah. um, the podcast. Mm-hmm. So scale up, right? So what you've just done, and I'm sure you know, you're aware, aware of this is the principles of how you build a team, mm-hmm. is, you've articulated it extremely well. One of the big things people struggle with is going from, let's say, 10 employees to 50 yeah. or, or beyond that. Yeah. So how, just to understand how you got to that, because that's, that's relatively well thought through. There's a process behind mm-hmm. it, obviously some experience, but how did you get to that? Because that's one of the key principles I think people want to hear about. Um, one step at a time, I think. Testing, the trying stuff out. Was there anyone who... You know, did you did you model it from anything, or did it just something you thought it was just intuitive? Not really. It was in, it's fairly intuitive. We've so I get. Let me tell you about the other business that's missing out here. Okay. So, post leaving Dubai, I started a co-founded a company with one other guy called Sport Lobster. Sport Lobster is a sports social network. We raised seventeen and a half million with two and a half million active users. Cristiano Ronaldo is an ambassador. Partnership with the NBA, the NFL. 
Right. And we discovered influencer marketing at Sport Lobster, solving our own problem, which then led to Goats. Got it. But this was all based in Dubai at the time? No, in, all in London. This is 2012, London. I moved from Dubai to okay, back London to start Sport Lobster. Sport Lobster 2012 to 2015, Goat 2015 to now. And you sold Sport Lobster? I, I can't talk about it. Okay. Um, I exited Sport Lobster, okay, let's it. say that. Um, it got turned into two other things beyond it. Still going now as recast. But the learning you got from that experience for those three years, you oh, now apply to this. Unbelievable. Um, so it'd be good to then explain, I mean, just so... So that grew to 80 people as well. Okay. So I'd done the zero to 80 yeah. before. We're now 125 here, four international offices. So we are in uncharted territory. <laughs> but that first 80, so that I'd kind, of, <laughs> I kind of just done it. Now, a very different type of business. That was all, That was a unicorn we were trying to sell at some point for a billion quid we've made money and dividended every month since we started go very different model very okay. different type of business we were so we learned a lot of what not to do at sport lobster so harry and nick the two other co-founders of, of goat both worked for me at sport lobster Got it. okay um i actually hired harry when he the uh, when the day he got his a level results when he was 18 he joined as our social media guy became head of social nick um joined very early on as well, became head of marketing. So why don't you explain, just so we've talked around it, so what, what is Goat? So we're an influencer agency. Um, now we're becoming something slightly more than that, really, because what is influencers? It's yeah. social, really. So really we're, we're a social agency, but we're, we're certainly the, the largest, and in my opinion, the, the best influencer agency in the world. Um, the story of where we came was that at Sport Lobster, we were spending, we literally did everything with every ad agency going. We had TV ads, billboard, every programmatic thing going. We had every experiential thing, student events. We did the absolute lot. Sponsored Crystal Palace, Gloucester Rugby, wow. NBA must games. Been, all must have been an interesting experience. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It was really crazy. Um, but one day, middle of 2013, we decided to give some guy who had 100,000 followers on Twitter, a tenor, to post about Sport Lobster. Now, influencers didn't mean what it does now, then, right? It, that Nobody was doing that at that point in time. So they came up with that idea then? I mean, obviously, the, the reach piece I get, but the, they thought, this, this guy, let's just pay him some money and see what happens. <laughs> Harry, that... I think Harry knew him somehow. Right. So Harry's also a, an entrepreneur. You should speak to him at some point. So he started his first business when he was 16. We've just sold that. I invested in it a couple of years ago. And that was a football blogging network, essentially. Yeah. So I think we knew him through that, but it was, it was I, I don't really know. We just, we, <laughs> just, we just found yeah, the guy, okay. we gave him a tenner. He posted about as he drove 2,000 downloads of Sport Lobster and it blew our minds. Wow. We literally couldn't believe it. The day before, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo had posted, a third of all of his social output was going about Sport Lobster and he was doing 1800 2000 downloads so similar numbers we're paying him an absolute fortune so we just literally couldn't believe it could not believe what was going on gave that guy a tenner killed it like a thousand times better than any cpa we'd ever got before so obviously we tried to do as much of that as we could immediately so within a month or so we'd used about a hundred all similar right we thought hundred thousand followers footballer anyone we could find like that we'll give money to tenner go and post and the results at the end of that month were great and massively varied. So 20% of them 
killed it for us. 1,500 downloads plus, literally we're just, we're printing money. And then 80% of it massively under delivers, like three, four, five downloads, zero downloads, like just not really working. Now we've come to learn for a whole load of different reasons that's the case, fake followers, the audience not being right, et cetera, et cetera. But the fundamentals of 80% of influencers don't deliver value is a truth, right? So we've used over 70,000 different influencers now all over the world. We have got more data than anybody else on the planet by a factor of probably 25 to 50 times. We're doing three to 4,000 influencer posts a week. So, so how, do you, how do you then work that out? I mean, obviously there's metrics that underpin some sort of scoring or ranking. Yeah, of... so we've got a, a custom-built CRM, which is right. tracking everything, tracking the cost per literally everything. Cost per view, cost per click, cost per impression, cost per engagement, cost per sale, what was the creative, how many sales off the back of it, what was the mechanic, how many sales off the back of it. So you can get a really campaign. thorough ROI for yep. your clients, if you like, on the back of yep. that stuff. We're a performance marketing agency. Wow, but using influencer and broader yep. social, as you mentioned before. Purely because it's the most effective way to do it. That's what it is. But we'll, we'll compete with any ad agency anywhere in the world if it's apples and apples. You want to spend half a million with them or half a million with us, we will be what they deliver because we can produce the content much cheaper than they can because we're not using production companies, everything else. We know exactly where the value is from an influencer point of view. They're gonna go and give the money to celebrities, paid media, stuff like that. We've, we've just finished something with, I can't mention it because we're on the podcast, but a massive FMCG brand in the UK globally. And we beat their media agency by 11 and a half times. Apples oh. and apples. Cost per view, 11 and a half times. Cost per engagement, nine and a half times. Um, so all the traditional agencies must be looking at you guys or, or this space and trying to either compete with it and do it probably not well because yeah. they're trying to, you know, innovation yeah. in big companies is difficult. Yeah. So two um, years ago, three years ago, they were all saying, this isn't, this is a fad, this isn't happening, there's no value here, ignore this, ignore this. And in the last year, they've all launched these influencer agencies. Yeah, it's, not. it's two people <laughs> sat at these big agencies. So sitting in the side, yeah, on a side desk yeah, somewhere. Because one of them's got 8,000 followers on Instagram. They think she knows what she's doing or, you know, like it's literally that. Yeah. It's the blind leading the blind. It's, oh, you look young. Like, will you go and do this? But it's, that's the problem is it's not about, like if you don't have the data on who to use, 80% of the time, it's not gonna work. And then people go, oh, influencer market doesn't work. Well. No, it doesn't if you use 80% of the wrong people. Just like you want to spend 10 million quid and then put it on a TV station that doesn't exist. Like, yeah, people aren't yeah. going to get any value out of it. If you go and put it on, you know, the middle of the Super Bowl, you are going to get people to watch it at least, you know? So it's, it's you've got to understand where to put it. And that's, that's the magic here is that no one else has, is we know who to give it to and who not to. We're also neutral. So... 70,000 influence reviews, we use probably 120,000 this year. So every, how do we keep expanding that is every campaign will use 85, 90% of people we've already used. So we know they're gonna work and then we'll test ourselves with 10, 15% of that budget. The client, when you're taking, let's just say it's yeah. whatever brand it is, FMCG brand yeah. or, or, yeah. or large corporate, whatever, they'll come to you and say they want to, um, you know, have a certain amount of reach or whatever else. I mean, yeah. do they then talk about the right persona of the individual that represents their brand, all that sort of thing, how's it? A brief can be anything. It can, really? it, it'll usually be what the action they want at the end is. So it might be um, Apple Music want more subscribers to Apple Music, right? Very obvious what the KPI is there. If we can deliver them 
a cost per subscription at lower than they're getting elsewhere, then they're going to give us a lot of that work. Uh, if new looker um, are selling clothes, we know we've got to sell clothes. But now we also do lots of other stuff where it might just be um, we've got a new campaign where we've got a budget of £250,000 we're going to put through paid media. Um, historically, that paid media has generated us, I don't know, 25 million views for 250 grand, for example. And we'll go, okay, we'll give you 75 million for that. Guaranteed, same level, you know, minimum watch time, 10 seconds, this audience, whatever it may be. We're an advertising agency. So clients bring us whatever it is they're trying to sell, whatever it is they're trying to get awareness of, and we solve it in the best way we think. But you is. don't, just to be clear on your proposition mm -hmm. though, you're not trying to move too broad into the other components. No. You are focused on, as you said, influence no. from social. We believe, our, our belief is that the world has changed far faster than anyone realizes. And social is continuing today to grow at a far, much faster rate than brand money is into social, which means the average, you know, the amount of brand money spent per person on social is actually declining not rising because social media you you know social media time spent on site might go up 50 percent this year but the ad spend won't it'll go up 20 percent, which means you're 30 percent worse off than you were at the start of the year and that's continuing to happen part of the reason it's happening is media agencies are controlling all this budget and they've got deals with other agencies that are kicking back to them at scale and so they don't want to spend money on channels that aren't going to kick them and we're not going to do it. Yeah, okay. We're completely open and transparent and we're not going to be part of that shit show. And at some point in the next financial crash, they will fall over. All the media companies, they've been doing stuff that they really shouldn't be doing and they know they shouldn't be doing it. And they, when their clients see it, they're going to drop them. And we need well, to I be... spent um, 15 years in magazines. Okay. So I went through the... So late 90s all the way through to sort of 2008, 2009, I was in sort of consumer media, mm -hmm. if you like. So yeah. I was writing the digital disruption of print, mm -hmm. so all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And some of the magazines that I worked on back then, you know, if you looked at the circulations, you looked at the reach, I mean, they're nothing now. I mean, yeah. One of them was FHM. Mm -hmm. So I was the marketing manager of FHM in Australia. And yeah. when I came over here, we launched Zoo, and we yeah. had nuts going up again, yeah. so you remember all that stuff. Yeah. And, and literally, everything was killed within the space of 18 months. Yeah. Mental. I mean, you look at it, it's massively disrupted, but yep. I can see what you mean. If that's continuing in different mm -hmm. formats now and there's more fragmentation as well. High street fashion brands going out of business every day yeah. versus, you know, you look at Pretty Little Thing and ASOS and Boohoo and like, they're killing them, mm. killing them. And, but yet the world still isn't realizing what's going on. The vast majority of people that are controlling budgets have not moved accordingly. Somehow. How long do you think it's going to take though before that catches up? I think it depends, right? Football Manager went up completely digital two years ago, dropped everything else. They do a lot with us, not just with us, they do on other digital channels. And they've had two record years back to back since then. Every, every time I see Miles, the CEO post, it's another record week, another record right. week. So brands that have entrepreneurs at the top will do it a lot quicker. You know, I always, a business that's run by someone that owns the business versus a business that's run by someone that doesn't operate very, very differently. Yeah. You know, when, when you know, anything that happens at Go, it's our money, right? So if, if, if we screw something up, we suffer it massively, personally suffer it massively. Whereas if you're the CEO of an agency where the founders left a long time ago, what's the worst case? What's the worst thing that happens to you? 
Mm. I lose my house, they lose their job. They lose their job. Different. So when your house is at stake, you're much more likely to change quickly, see what's important, see some good value and think, okay, oh, I can, yes. Whereas, unfortunately, the vast majority of the budget is controlled by people that don't give a shit about them. They don't really care. It's a job and they want to look good to their boss who then wants to look good to their boss, who then yeah, wants to look yeah. good and to that, their and boss. That, and that sort like, of thing, back to back to entrepreneurship, if you like, that's a very different mentality yeah. all the way through. If, if, a, if Unilever was run by one entrepreneur at the top, we'd have all their work. I'd go to him, have one conversation, and he couldn't rationally not give us the work. Because I'd make him an offer he couldn't refuse. I'd, I'd literally say to him, whatever you're spending on paid, I'll give you double the value, and I'll guarantee it now. And if, if I can't do it, don't pay us for clarity. I'm not just saying it for the sake of it. Like, well, I saw I'm that on put, your site. Yeah, we'll you put, know, there's a yeah. piece where you know if you don't, you, you back it very fundamentally. Yeah. By that's the what we've always done, and the, you know, the, the, that's always been our response to the lack of trust with influencer marketing. Is I don't Try really it trust it. You don't need to trust it because I'm guaranteeing the results. So, can I ask you then? So, so a lot of the stuff I did a post recently around personal branding, mm-hmm. and I've done a heap myself on it, not to the level that you guys do at scale. But um, for me personally, across all my businesses, all of the stuff comes in from inbounds, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And there's a couple of things I, I believe about it, which is when you put something around a personal brand, as in me, mm-hmm. um, there's a level of trust and authenticity that comes from that, mm-hmm. as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So therefore, particularly through the podcast and whatever else, people spend whatever is 30 minutes to an hour with me every single week, mm-hmm. so they kind of feel like they know me. Yeah. So there'll be somewhere between 10 to 20 inbound inquiries for various types of mm-hmm. help that mm-hmm. happens. So I say to people, if you're, you know, if you have a business and you're struggling with say things like marketing, have a look at kind of what you can personally do. Mm-hmm. How, how does that view, and I appreciate you might have a different view to me on that. How do you see that happening at the moment? Do you see more people sort of stepping into this space and trying to create it because the tools are there through social media? Or is there still a lot of fear behind it? You know, but the question is from a brand point of view, from an influencer perspective. Okay. So if if you know my wife, as I said before, has got one hundred and eighty thousand people coming to her sites, okay. just all her, mm-hmm. right? I've got X number of people coming through and doing my stuff, and it's predominantly me. Mm-hmm. How does people step into this? Are you seeing growth in the whole influencer because it's becoming a trend? There's certainly a trend in people wanting to be influencers. Um, there's a generation growing up now where that's the goal over being a that's the new celebrity, yeah. right? So, and they know they can make money from it. They're, it's not the right type of influencers, and I think we're going to see like they're the people we don't use. You know, but why do twenty percent of people work, eighty percent of people don't? It's for exactly that reason. If you're an influencer because you want to be an influencer, you're not going to influence anybody. Right. Well, or, you're coming in for the wrong reasons, aren't you? Yeah. You're coming in from, from either fame, significance, money, exactly, as opposed to trying to help someone. That's it. it Every single influencer that I'm aware of that works has started, and by works I mean can influence their audience to do something, which is all we're interested in, um, has started with a very clear niche built from that. And then as they get bigger, they become a bit more general, right? Awesome. But Okay. All these general YouTubers you see now all started with something really, KSI, biggest in, in, in the UK. He was a FIFA channel. That was where his audience came from. Now, now he does boxing, he's got a number one album out, he's got all sorts of stuff, but he built his audience on gaming and then took them on a journey where he transitioned them into other conversations. So I see a lot of people now with five or 6,000 followers that aren't talking about anything specific 
I don't see how they're going to build their audience. Now, the only exception to that seems to be models, essentially, right? But even then, they are specific because they just they put a bikini shot up or a or a guy with a six pack. It's very shot defining, then, every... isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you, you either like, look, you either look great and people like it or not. Yeah, but like right. the you know all of the most successful from an influence in their audience point of view have got a very specific niche. You know, they're they're mums who talk about their kids all the time, right? They're it doesn't mean that's the only thing they can talk about, but people are following them who probably also have kids and they're in a shared interest group. If you're, you know, even at the gaming community, when I say, oh, he's a gaming influencer, he's not a gaming, there's no gaming influencers. There are Fortnite influencers and League of Legends influencers and FIFA influencers, and they're all separate. They don't play. So they're really, so that point you said before about the niche is critical then. Everything yeah. we do is niche content to niche audiences at scale. That is our marketing solution. Got it. Niche content, niche audiences at scale. So Every, one campaign that a brand comes to you could have, as you said before, hundreds, if could not have, Could have 5,000 influencers right. doing it in a different way, all talking about it in slightly different context that's super relevant for them. This is, it's the, the people, there's a lot of people in our space trying to automate it with platforms. And I, from day one, and we could have done this, from day one have said there is no way any of those will ever work because you cannot automate influencer marketing the second you take that real niche content niche understanding of the audience away it yeah. falls apart you only get the best results by having the right message in the right audience at the right time if you get rid of any of those things it just doesn't work i can get ksi's audience to buy lots of things right there are some things i could get where he could i could literally sell a hundred thousand or something but there are other products I couldn't sell any of. It depends what the product is. He can't do everything. No, there are certain things he can do, certain <laughs> things he can't. Our system is looking at that. Okay, well, anytime he sells anything, like we're literally looking at, okay, black t-shirt versus gray hoodie, can he sell those things, right? And like also anything we can get our, data, our hands on, we track that data. There's, we're tracking stuff that we don't use and we've got no idea if we're ever going to be able to use it, but we're still tracking it. Because at some point, it might be really, really useful, and you can't go back and do it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about understanding all the data, but never forgetting that if it's not the right message and the right person, it definitely will not work. You know, so it's got to be the right thing, and they've got to be one of the 20% that delivers. If you get both of those things right, Got it. you, it's going to kill it. So what does that I mean for people who are just running running a business? Not mm. I'm not talking about the big corporates here. Mm. I'm talking more of the stuff. Again, people who are scaling up lifestyle or performance businesses. Yeah. So what what can they learn from this? I mean, obviously, you know, the big guys can come with big budgets and they can you know do that. But even at a smaller level, I mean, I know lots of people are out there doing their own social media stuff. That's mm -hmm. that's a, at a micro level. Let's say you've got a reasonable business, but you want to use influencers. You want to use this new way of using social. Do you have any any tips if you like or any thoughts around that yeah let's okay so if you're if you're a big business or a big enough business you've got budgets call us if you if you haven't there's no point in calling us right you want to spend two or three grand a month or something like that like we can't do it so my advice to people in that situation would be find depending on what the product is find people who are naturally talking about what you do and are aligned to what you do and start reaching out to them now 80% of them aren't going to work, but you'll start to learn that yourself. And if you're doing it small scale, once you find someone that does work, keep them, 
keep Do you think going. in terms of a marketing mix though, because obviously there's a point where I can see at the bigger end, if it you know, makes sense in yeah. that respect. But is influencer stuff, even at the small scale, is, there better, is, that, is that still one of the best things to start to move into? Though? Oh, I, I think if... Because I, I think social media these days, I say to some of my clients and whatever mm -hmm. else, I say, you know, you've got an opportunity of free marketing here, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. So um, if you're, my, my wife's a classic example, we get a check every single week from Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, no idea exactly how the algorithm works, yeah, by the way, no but it, it pays for the school fees. Yeah. Um, purely because she's, it's not even her doing a, a, a review. Mm -hmm. She might have written something about something else, but someone's gone there and then yeah. gone to Amazon. Yeah. And so she's done that all herself. We mm -hmm. haven't spent anything. There's no SEO other than organic. Yeah. And I think, God, that's an opportunity for people, particularly if they haven't got big budgets, but they want to try to scale their own stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is the most cost-effective way yeah. <laughs> to advertise. So, you know, if, you're trying to sell things. It also depends on the product, right? If yeah. you're if you're trying to sell things online, particularly if you've got an e-com site or you're able to sell things online, like there is no doubt this is going to be the most cost-effective way of doing it. You know, I think people, if you're getting into it, what people need to avoid is people getting into it for the wrong reasons, right? Whether you're an influencer and you're getting into the wrong reasons, or you're a brand and you're using someone who's got into it for the wrong reasons, that's where this falls apart. Yeah. It's just being brutally honest with yourself and like the, the we're completely neutral we don't manage or represent anyone and part of the reason we did that not just from a cost point of view to always be keep that down but it's then we're always honest with ourselves right we've got no reason to put that person in just because right that will only suggest someone if they're right it's never it's never because oh it's easier and oh they're already here or oh no I, yeah it's like it, it just doesn't work like no, that and but so often that's what it is it's oh, I know that person so I'll call them it's like what well, sometimes it can be damaging as well influencer marketing if it's done badly can be really negative and this is part of the risk for people if you get the wrong person to talk about the wrong thing the audience sees through it and it's you're going to have to work hard. To repair that damage right i see all the time where people i follow they'll do a brand deal and i'm just like oh my god why have you done that like it doesn't make it just does not make any sense to anyone and but i mean this i mean all the way through i'm just conscious of you being very sort of generous with your time but you know all the way through this conversation you've you know interweaved various points of your entrepreneurial philosophy mm. right you know which is great actually because there's a lot of different things so some of the things i've taken away you know, you've got obviously the leadership piece that we spoke about at the beginning about how you motivate people, how mm. you lead, the difference between that, respect. You know, you've got the principles of what you learned when you were living overseas. You've brought that back over here. If you were, if you were thinking now, you know, scaling up a business of which you've done a couple, mm -hmm. you know, at least, what are, the, what are the top three things you think you need to put in place? Yeah. And I appreciate it, I don't want to put you on the spot, but no, no, you think fine. about it, you know, because yeah. this is always one of those questions. What are the things that are absolutely critical? Because you've got mm -hmm. heaps of it's come through this conversation already. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it'd be good to sort of hear you call it out. Co-founders would be the first one. Yeah. I couldn't have done this by myself. Okay. And neither could any of the other two. And are they, in terms of specific roles? Mm -hmm. So, you... yeah, Harry's, Harry understands the social side of this business and the social space like nobody I've ever met. He genuinely has like a rain man ability with this wow. stuff. He, it's why I hired him at 18 on the phone in like 15 minutes. He was, he, there is something, his understanding level of this stuff is just second to none. So that's what Harry does. He delivers, right? He makes sure that we actually can do all this stuff. 
Nick is the one that does all the other stuff and keeps everything together and is the steady hand and is the one that people want to hang around with. And I'm slightly, my role is more the positioning, the driving force, the sort of hate vision. It makes me sound like a dickhead, but I have a very clear idea of where we're going. And that path comes out of my head primarily. The three of us agree it and we, and we run forward. Have but, you ever heard the concept, the artist, the entrepreneur and the leader? No, I haven't. No, but that so sounds kind of right. You've described it. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Which That's... is interesting. And, they, and and generally in beginning of startup, the individual often mm -hmm. has to be all three of those things. Yeah. But in yeah. the situation when you and you've done what you've done, mm -hmm. it's the way. It's, the, yeah. it's almost a blueprint. That's it. I, right. I I think that having people to share the good and the bad with is so important. And I. Going back to my first uh, business, the Shotgun Events, when it became Shotgun Events, we ran it 50, 25, 25 for six months. And then I gave the other guys a third, a third, a third and made it a level. Okay. Because it would have broken down otherwise. It just, we were making too much money. And, it, and I was making twice as much as they were. And I wasn't, I didn't deserve to at that point in time. Yeah. And I could have kept it going and made more money that way, but it would have held us back. And I... That's important. You know, they both worked for me previously. I could easily have set this up at 50, 25, 25. And I think they would have probably gone with it because this was their first real business, stuff like that. But I, I knew it would have destroyed us if I'd have done it. It would have been a completely different dynamic. Oh, okay. They would have always felt that it was more my responsibility than theirs. And we have a completely equal approach here. There's no CEO, there never has been when there is one it won't be one of us um we're the co-founders this is our baby and we're here and, and running it but none of us are more important than the others it's we each there's have... a whole heap of i mean in that again there's a whole heap of leadership there not not leadership in the terms of the leader i said before which nick obviously brings to what you're yeah. saying but just just leadership of of how you bring people together yeah and yeah and, and so that so that's the first one. So definitely that's the, the co-founders. I can also see yeah. there's a bit of fun in that. Yeah. Second thing you would suggest, you know, if you're going into that sort of piece that you've learned, one of the most important things? Um, it has to work now. I think okay. too often people, I mean, I see it time and time and time again with, with decks and stuff coming into me. And it's, there's a lot of when we can do this, we'll have a really good business. I'm not interested because I don't, 99% of the time, you won't be able to do that thing that enables you've got a great business. So yeah. for me, it's a great business is one that is self-sustaining, that creates value, creates jobs and opportunity and everything else, and that you can take money out of, because otherwise, what the hell are you taking all the risks for? But it's got to be real. And if it doesn't work when you're very small, like if the way I look at it is if if we couldn't, like the easiest time at GOAT was when it was just the three of us, because we're really good at this. So we didn't have to doubt like our capabilities. It was the three of us, we'd work whatever we had to work. And so if you can't make it work then, I promise you when there's 125 of you, you definitely won't be able to, because I accept that they are never going to care as much as I do. Yeah, they're never yeah. gonna work as hard as I do. <clears throat> doesn't mean they're not exceptional people out there. There are people that care the maximum I could expect them to care. 
but it's still not. It's a different value risk equation. Yeah. As they say, as you said before, and about the same the same principle is the employee running Unilever as opposed to the guy who started it. Exactly. But but again, you mentioned, as you said, when you lead those teams and you inspire and you motivate, mm -hmm. you can get them as close to that point as possible. Yeah. And you can. We've got people here that you would think they own the business. Like right. they're you know, but I don't hold the same expectation on myself as I do on them like I can't it's not it's not fair so but they but anyway the real point is if it doesn't work now if you can't if you're like that's why again I go back to the the market trader right they're buying an apple for 30p and they're selling it for 50p and if they can sell 50 apples they'll break even right now if every day they're selling 30 apples don't come to me and tell me oh when we sell 50 we'll have a good business you I'm not sure you'll ever be able to sell 50 apples. If you're selling 70 apples and you're telling me, okay, we're break, we're making 10 quid a day. We look, we've, we've sold 70 apples here every day for the last 100 days. I want to open five more stores that will also sell 70 apples. For, I mean, I'm with you because you've it. got something you've proved. So you that. can you can touch and feel that. Yeah, and the same way because you you alluded to it beforehand with the difference between obviously your previous. Sports Lobster, I mm -hmm. believe, versus yeah. what you've done differently here. Yeah. But I get the sense that, as you said, from day one, this business has been profitable. You've focused it on... Well, it had to be. We didn't We didn't raise any money. It's, so, funny, it's funny how many people, particularly with the tech piece, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I understand there's a difference between it, but you've obviously, you've, you've scaled it in a very conscious way around yeah. that. Yeah. It was okay. always about everything we did was about that. Never what about, I mean, and, and for the last one then, what, what about you personally? So we've got obviously the team, we've got, you know, so it's got to be viable now. What about you? So, you know, you... So, yeah. so, so I, my real bit of advice is, are you sure you want to do it? Okay, good. Are you really sure that this is what you want to do? Because there isn't the sort of zeitgeist around entrepreneurship has changed in the last four or five years. And people have no idea what it is. Like they don't really, if you don't want this more than anything, it's not worth it because it's so difficult and so stressful and so tiring and so lonely. And people see it for what they want it to be and not what it is. Now, it's great too, don't get me wrong. But the bits that are great are not the bits that people think. People have a bad day because their boss is mean to them and they think, oh, I want to work for myself. People will still be mean to you. It, that, doesn't, that doesn't change anything. Like if you, you want to set up your own business because you believe so passionately in something that you just you need to get that to the world, then do it. But if you're doing it for any other reason, think very carefully about it. And I think people over-index on the value of being your own boss and of being an entrepreneur. And I think that we, the, there's, there's an attitude from a lot of people, particularly the entrepreneurial motivational speakers, who their sort of solution to everything is go and do it, go and do it, go and do it. And my attitude is not that. It's if you haven't done it, maybe you shouldn't, right? Because if, if, it's kind of like you either are forced to it because it's just you have to do it. But if you're not, it might not be the right way to go down. I'm a big believer in balance in life. I've got two little kids and a wife. And right now my wife doesn't like me very much because I'm working nonstop. And like, I think about it. I think about it. I didn't see my kids this morning. They went to, went to nursery in their, their superhero costumes. They're gutted they didn't get to show me. It devastates me. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't enjoy that. And I think there have been other parents who aren't 
in the situation I'm in don't have to go and do what I have to do, who will have seen that and they don't realise that. They, they see what the things I have they don't, but they don't see the things I don't have that they do. And I think I see it as that everything is a balance in life and that some people are naturally more leaders than others. And I don't think because somebody leads someone else, that person's better than the other person. And I think we've almost got into this hierarchy of, oh, if you're a CEO, you're successful. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't. Most of the people, I mean, that's a great point and great you know, tip, if you like, because I think there's a thing where a lot of the people who contact me and ask me questions are at probably startup, even mm -hmm. though it's not what the podcast is about, but they mm -hmm. want to know how they can. Yeah. And it's interesting. I always say to people, listen, what is it that you really want? Mm -hmm. Do you want to start a business, scale a business, exit a business? Is that what you really want? Or do you want leverage and do you want freedom and do you want to live life on mm -hmm. your terms? Yeah. If that's the ultimate aim, and that's not just money, by the way, that's you know the ability, you explained it really well, because I'm the same. I, I try and balance my life to yeah. be with my kids as much as possible, mm -hmm. and their choices, right, yeah. ultimately. But if that's what you want, the vehicle to get that might be entrepreneurship, might be doing your own thing, if you're passionate mm -hmm. about solving a problem for someone and that you want that, yeah. or it might be something Consulting else. Consulting or something, yeah. Yeah, it could be, yeah. it could be, you know, just you know, packing off and living mm -hmm. somewhere remotely and yeah. sort of living, you know, as, as, as frugally as possible. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't connect with that. Yeah. And it's funny, once you start to understand that about yourself, and I personally, my journey around that was I spent a good 18 months connecting with some stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've done different things all through my career, corporate yeah. as well as entrepreneurship. But until I really sort of grounded what I wanted longer term, which yeah. were all about values and purpose for me, that's when I started to get, you know, congruence mm -hmm. with the stuff that, you know, made me feel happy. Yeah. I mean, I'm in battle with it. Yeah. Permanently at the moment. I need to get to grips with it at some point. But, you know, it's, it's all compromise, all sacrifice. And like everyone just, everyone needs to be aware of that with everything, right? Every time you see someone who you think is doing really well, they might well be, but they still got shit. They yeah. still got problems, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. you know, it's 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 just you know we're all human. I, I I think everyone gets too too focused on being in power and being in control. So what I mean to finish this off because mm. I'm conscious, you know, you've been very generous with your time, as I said. What what's the next step then for you? And and obviously what you're trying to do with with this business mm. you, is that clear or is it, are you really yeah. a guy are you are you a guy in the present are you like you know what doesn't actually matter about the future because I'm here for today how's it, how's that work so I'm both right I'm I'm very aware of the future but I do live my life incredibly present cool. I will never pick up my phone in the middle of conversations with people and like I'm in meetings with people they're on their laptops I'm like no shut it shut 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 everyone needs to look we need to be present in this conversation yeah, cool, then we'll cool. go to the next one nice the next one but I. I do have a moving, you know, flexible-ish vision of where we're going. But for me, it's, it's about fixing something that's broken. And the current media landscape across the world is broken. It's billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are getting poured into programmatic that's getting wasted. They're getting poured into channels that are getting wasted, all for the benefit of shareholders and media agencies. And why shouldn't we call it out and change it? You know, that's sort of where we are. And, and we, you know, we started by doing, you know, we do a hundred grand or a 10 grand test against them and beat them and think, oh, we can do this. Hundred grand beat them. We can do this. 200 grand beat them. We're half and oh, hang on. Five minutes. Oh, shit. We, when are they going to beat us? You know, I mean, and that's, they're so arrogant about it. So dismissive about it. It's such an old boys club that that's what we want to break up. 
I don't. So you've got to. So the mission behind this is pretty big, then. Yeah, to take on the media agency. Got it. Yeah, got it. And um, you know, and and pull apart and rip down kind of something that's you know, as yeah. you said, is not how the world should be on this. For the better. And I, how do I know that problem exists? Because I've been a brand using them. Yeah. And they rip me off. And I, you know, we literally built this agency to solve that problem, and we're not going to stop until we solve that problem. We're not looking to exit. Wow. We've had half a dozen people in the last two two months come to us with offers. We're not we're not going anywhere. I don't not gonna be bought by one of them for us for them to turn us into them, right? When our mission is to change that. So we're gonna to have to stick it out and and try and take them on. We're you know, we're hundred and twenty five people in Singapore, New York, London, Monaco, we'll open certainly Australia, Dubai a South American office um, and a European office in the next 12 months too. Um, so we'll probably get to 200, 225 people-wise in the next 12 months. But, you know, we're constantly optimizing, constantly learning. Things happen, we change, we do more of this, we do, you know. But that goal of providing value to people is what we want to do. There is, there is so much that you've shared in this, which is useful. No, it's really, really good. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming My on pleasure. the show. My pleasure. And um, yeah, just, I mean, this, as I said, this entrepreneurial focus is about many things, but it's really about the journey, the story. And, you know, what I've found personally, as I've done a few of these now, is I learn a heap just from the conversations. Mm. And I kind of think, God, there's, there's so much consistency around both mindset, action, belief systems, all those mm. things. And there's also a certain degree of confidence as well when you find what you want to do and you've got a bigger purpose. So thank you for your time, Aaron. It's been great. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Excellent. Thank you.